In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those trespasses against us. Lead us on temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I praise you, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, dokie. All right, um, the usual disclaimer. Um, when I label something a discussion on or navigating, I, I actually mean that. Um, so I wanna make clear what I'm not hoping to do tonight versus what I am hoping to do tonight. Um, what I'm not uh, aiming to do is to come in with stances on um, particular scientific ideas or theories like Big Bang or evolution or, or any of those things. Um, is not the goal, um, nor is it to, to pit um, two disciplines um, against each other in a, in, a, in a very critical way. Instead, um, what I'm hoping to comment on, I'm just going to have like some guidelines. It's based on a blog that if you've already read it, I'm sorry. Um, and I've had to, I've, I've done this talk with some like university students in random places. So if this is old news for you, feel free to, to check out. But um, I think what I'm hoping to do is, is, is what I'm seeing happen secularly and religiously is that we don't actually often know um, the lines between these two disciplines. Um, the end result is that we end up saying a lot of really useless things that are not often very um, objective. And I also think that um, people abuse both science and religion against one another or just in, in, in random ways. So I'll, I'll, I'll dive in and hope, hopefully what I mean will be more clear and I can comment more on, on, on what I had meant at the end because then I, my brain's a little bit stuck. Um, once again, any one of you willing to turn on your cameras, thank you. Um, if not, no problem. Thanks, Anthony. Um, <laughs> you're my audience today. There we go. Thanks, guys. Um, so this, like, originally when I was writing the blog, originally when I was thinking about this, is you get questions, specific questions of, hey, am I allowed to believe in, insert here, Big Bang, evolution, uh, stem cell, whatever it is, okay? Um, or what's my stance on dark matter? Um, as though there's, like, an official church stance on, on every, like, everything um, that comes out. And, and, and that's what I'm saying. That kind of question... Um, is, is, is evidence that we don't get it, right? And it's not anyone's fault. There's a lot of reasons why we think like that. Um, and so it's important for us to, to do that. So when someone starts a question of, can I? My answer is almost always gonna be, yes, you can, right? Because you, you can do anything you want, right? You can say whatever you want, you can believe whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, no one's gonna control you. Um, and so the real question should, should hopefully be a question of, of, of truth. Um, and I'm not trying to weigh in on, on, on truth tonight. That's not my objective. Um, so you can believe in certain scientific theories and, and, and be a Christian, but it's, it's not as hopefully we're going to see because your church or religion dictates what's actually true. Right. The real question that everyone should be asking should always be what's true. That should be the starting point. 
okay? Um, so what I'm hoping to get into a little bit are what are the boundaries of science and religion? What is science about? What is religion about? How is it possible for science and religion to be at odds with one another? Um, do I use my Bible to prove science? Do I use science to prove the Bible? Right? These are the kind of things that, that, that I wanted to get more into. Having said that, yes, I have a scientific background. I'm not now coming in to speak um, as, a, as a scientist um, because I gave that up. Um, I'm only throwing it out there to say that I get it, okay? Just so that it's not this an assumption of here's some guy who knows nothing about these things and is coming in to comment on, on, on all of these things. So let's look at them each, and I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on this because I'm hoping that there's more questions to guide the discussion after. But science, um, the claim of science, because all we can do is evaluate claims, the claim of science that science is supposed to be concerned with objective facts and observations. Okay, in science we measure things, we observe things, we speculate about things based on material things. We speculate about matter, its properties, and the, and its behaviors. Okay, um, we are concerned in science with how things work. Okay. More specifically, we are focused on, on material things, right? Even if they're not visible to the naked eye, if, there's, if it's an object that is made of something, right? That's the realm of science. Um, and so, like I said, either in the natural world to the naked eye or through tools that help develop and measure those things that we can't see with the naked eye. Now, the limitations of science are the scientist's brain, okay um and intellect natural materials um and the materials that human brains have invented to help them research other material things okay those are those are what we have at our disposal and and i'm not actually taking shots at that right like i said i'm betrayed trained in that um but it is important to talk about science having limitations because i don't think we often talk that way Right, we tend to, to view it as its, as its own thing. Um, and in pop culture, I'm not necessarily criticizing scientists here, I'm talking about general population. Um, in pop culture, I think we often don't recognize that there are limitations at all. Um, and we tend to think, oh, well, they don't know they're gonna figure out and there's no limitations, this is just science, just how it works, just what it is, right? Those are kind of expressions we use all the time. Um, you can't argue with science, bro, whatever that means. Um, I think I know what it means. I just think, I don't know that everyone's saying that knows what it means. Um, and so the, the what happened here or what is this or how does this work? Those are the questions of science, okay? What is this? How is this? What happened here? Those are the questions of science. Religion, on the other hand, um, which is not an opposing field, um, religion is supposed to be concerned with belief, first and foremost, about why things are, why they came to be, what kind of meaning does a thing have, okay? So in other words, in religion, we might look at the same material that a scientist is looking at, and instead of trying to answer what it is, we might use religion to ask why it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a whole different question. It's a different set of questions than what scientists ask. Religion, of course, is also concerned with immaterial things. 
okay, the things of what we what we would refer to as as as, as spiritual. Um, and keep in mind that we made up the word spiritual, right? We mean something by that. I'm not going to delve too much in that right now, but I'm trying to say we develop a terminology to express some kind of relationship between material and immaterial. Um, and so these two worlds often seem to collide, especially in, in the contemporary times. I want to say something about the Bible, okay? Um, because this is a major point of contention often in these kinds of, of debates, um, which I don't know why we're debating, but anyway. The, the Bible is not a scientific textbook. The Bible is not a historical textbook. And the Bible itself is not claiming to be any of those two. Okay. Now, some modern Christians have made those claims. I'm not here to talk about those because that's not un, like in orthodoxy. That's not our claim. Those who may have that claim, they can answer for themselves. I don't need to lawyer for them. We're orthodox theoretically here. Okay. Um, and there's a whole history to why they arrived where they're at that I'm not going to hear. That could be a good talk for a talk on inspiration of scripture, for example. Um, but the Bible is, is, is a narrative. It's a narrative of people's claims of relationship between God and man throughout history. Okay. Theoretically, actually, the Bible need not ever have ended. Right? Theoretically, we could take the life of Antony and add that to the canon of the Bible. We can do that. It's another story of somebody's interaction and history with God. Right? So the Bible is in this book that we claim like landed from the sky on somebody's head, and they're like, oh wow, it's holy, let's kiss it, now worship it, and now these are our rules. That's not how it went. People were recording in different ways for different reasons at different times, things that they saw, things that they experienced, things that were happening in their times. And we're looking at it and saying, oh, cool, what, what happened? Where was God in this? What was God's view on this? What did God do? What did God say? How did the people react? That's the kind of thing that we're doing. So the Bible did not ever say in and of itself, let me explain to you how God made the world, but let me tell you simply that in the beginning, he made it. Okay. Um, I'm bringing that up for a reason because in this discussion, I think that um, how you understand the Bible is going to be, is, is usually the main cause of difficulty um, between, between the, the two worlds. So there are conflicts. And why do we have conflicts? And my personal view, this is not me speaking on behalf of the church. I'm speaking as a human being because um, there's no dogma on this. So I'm allowed to do so. Um, my personal view is because people outstep their boundaries very regularly. Okay. So a TA or a professor may tell you that science proves that there's no God. Okay. And I, I've seen this. They'll say things like if evolution is true, then there is no need for religion. And evolution is pretty much true. Okay. A church person might say, dude, scientists are atheists, avoid them. Right. Which is not necessarily true or right. A churchman may say evolution is the tool of the atheist to disprove God and it's not true. It never happened. God made it. From both sides, these are not valid statements, right? From, from both sides. Both of these parties are actually outstepping their boundaries and they're not stating objective truths. The two disciplines are by no means mutually exclusive. So if science is supposed to be concerned with facts, then all that the scientist as a scientist, and I'm not speaking about the human being, I'm talking about the discipline of science, 
okay? All that the scientists can actually say about something is whether a thing happened or not. So it is not objectively, I'm not speaking just as a Christian, objectively, it is not a scientific statement to say, since evolution has been observed, therefore there is no God. That's actually not a scientific statement. Because the latter part of that statement is a question of meaning and interpretation. That is not the realm or the discipline of science. It's not an objective material fact about an objective material thing. So the science can determine whether or not the evolution is a factor or not. That is the realm. Okay, that is, that is definitely within their scope. But it cannot ascribe meaning to that fact. Those meanings can be discussed by philosophers, sociologists, psychologists, theologians, and other disciplines that deal with meanings and speculations, because theology is not the only space for meaning. It's not the only dis discipline for that. That's not actually the scientist's realm, right? So to, to, to dumb it down maybe a little bit more, if a scientist says, oh, I can tell you that this tree has been here for 5,000 years objectively, cool. You can't then from that say that, and therefore the ants are happy. You might be able to, but you need to support that, right? Or you can't say, and therefore, the meaning of this tree is that we need better ecology. You can't jump from that to that. Um, I know some people are going to be critical of that example, and I know why, and I'm going to get to that. Um, because there's going to be places of intersection, and we'll, and we'll, we'll get there, okay? But... On the other hand, a religionist or a theist cannot, can, has no right really to say that, well actually they can say whatever they want, but would be not intelligent to say that an objective thing couldn't be. That's totally wrong, okay? Something is true, as we've said a billion times, something is true if and only if it is true. So an objective thing is either true or it is not, irrespective of how we feel about that thing. I don't need to like gravity, there's gravity. And gravity existed whether or not people knew how to calculate it or see it for millennia. It was always there. It wasn't someone's discovery of it that made it real. It was always real, okay? So it doesn't really matter whatsoever what anybody said, it was always there. Bacteria existed before they could see it through a microscope. The earth was always spherical or ovalish in spite of people claiming that it was flat. So objective things are true or false, no matter how you feel about them. Consequently, a person from church can't claim that something is false because he or she doesn't believe in it. That's completely irrational, right? I can't claim that something is false because a book that I believe in tells me otherwise. If a book that I believe in has a falsehood in it, then I should really ask myself, why am I reading that book? Right? Like, like, like we've got to be real here. Like, I think any theist would be critical of other people, of other religions, if they see a mistake in their books and use that as support that there's something wrong with the religion. So you better be consistent about your own, right? If our book is lying to us, then it's a bad book, right? So if your holy book says the earth is round and another person's holy book says that it's flat, then how do you decide who is right even from a religious perspective, 
right? Forget science for a second, right? If you're saying because my holy book says it is so, well, what happens if two holy books contradict each other, right? How do you deal with that, right? There, there, there better be something that's objectively true. You can't, you can't deal with that. It's not a religious question. It's a scientific question, right? Whether what the, the, the properties of this material are. And so that's, that's my main gist that I want to go with is that science and religion are two distinct things that are not at odds with one another. They can only complement and clarify one another. One informs the other. So I can, I can use science to appreciate my religion. And I also can use my religion to give meaning to my science because they're not, they're not asking the same things. They're, they're, they're different things. Okay. So let's come back to the Bible because this is a place of major contention and abuse by both people in religion and out of religion in general. Okay. You'll hear will say, look, the Bible says that the earth is round because in Isaiah, it says he who sits on the sphere of the earth. This is true. But it's also true that in other places in the Bible that it says the four corners of the earth. So then why did you choose the one verse to say, aha, they knew it was round, but then you completely ignored the other places where it says the four corners of the earth. The first chapter of the Bible calls the moon a great light. The moon is not a light. It is a rock. So if you're going to start treating the Bible in that way, you're abusing it. It wasn't making a scientific claim. So don't ascribe claims to it. Because when your claims fall, because they will, then you've demeaned something. Moses was not trying to explain to someone the science of things, right? Moses wasn't writing down, down like, okay, here's step one, right? That the, that the author is, 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 is saying, I have this vision and this is what I saw. I saw that God made it. And he saw what order in which it was made and he described with his own language. Now, that's a big deal because the language of prophecy in general in the Bible, if you're going to be consistent, is always that of visions. Right? And the visions had meaning. So even if somebody's seeing a vision of something in the past, it's still a vision. Right? And so it's, 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 it's got its own way of being presented. People today still say sunset and sunrise even though the sun neither sets nor rises. People will still say moonlight, even non-religious people will, stay, will still say they walked to moonlight in spite of the fact that moon is not a light. It's not the moon's light, right? And we don't stone those people for saying it, right? Because we understand that it's an expression. We get it, right? We're, you're not going to like yell at someone. I'm sorry, like to overuse a joke. You're not going to be like, yeah, yeah, I had an amazing walk yesterday. We we're walking by the light that's reflected by the moon, which is really just a rock that's reflecting the light of the sun. And it was so great. I loved it. Right. You don't need to say all of that. We already get when you say moonlight what you mean. Right. And so if you're not treating the Bible properly, then you're going to arrive at these conclusions like, aha, 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 because you're making it make a claim that it was never making right? You're, you're, you're giving it a claim and then defending that claim. And then when your claim is removed from you, you lose faith because you think something's wrong or another person ridicules you and tells you you're done. Okay. But Moses wasn't claiming that he was going to teach us the science of the Bible. He was writing down the beginning of the history of our relationship with God. 
That is what the Bible is about, our story with God. So the Bible says that man was formed in the image and likeness of God. And this was what made man, man. Right? Or humans, humans. We are told that this happened after man was formed from the dust of the earth. What is the dust of the earth? If anyone here claims that they know exactly what is meant there, I will not believe them. We simply know that God made man from the elements of the earth. That is all we know. What was the process of making him? I have no clue, nor, neither do you. What was the time frame of making him? No clue, neither do you, religiously. You might have some speculation scientifically. So on what basis are we thousands of years later claiming that we know, we do not know? Now, some people are going to look at me like, oh, there's a liberal. Okay. Um, let me read to you a quote that I think is very interesting from one of the early church fathers, from St. Gregory of Nyssa, who was a saint in the church and in the cynics area. As for the question of precisely how any single thing came into existence, we must banish it altogether from our discussion. Even in the case of things which are quite within the grasp of our understanding and of which we have sensible perception, it would be impossible for the speculative reason to grasp the how of the production of the phenomenon so much so that even inspired and saintly men have deemed such questions insoluble. For instance, the apostle says, through faith we understand that the world refrained by the word of God, so that things which are seen are, are not made of things which do not appear. Let us follow the example of the apostle, leave the question of the how in each created thing without meddling with it at all, but merely observing incidentally that the movement of God's will becomes at any moment that he pleases a fact, and the intention becomes at once realized in nature. St. Gregory of Nyssa is saying, bun science. He's saying, in the theological discussion, the question of how is insoluble and irrelevant. It's not a theological question. So in modern English, what he's saying is, let's not waste time debating something that has nothing to do with this discipline religiously. We don't really know how a single thing came into existence at his time. He says at the time that he's writing in, they don't know how. He was open to it. He's just saying, we don't even know yet. Not to meddle with it. Those are strong, strong language. Um, and that the faith aspect is saying, yeah, through some process, there's a reason I believe in God. He's not discussing that. There's a reason we believe in God. And we believe that he made it somehow. How? Cool. Go play in your, in your playground and figure out how. No problem. Not a big deal. Not a problem. We're not trying to specify how God makes things. What does it mean to be, to be in the image and likeness of God? That's the realm of theology. That's not the realm of science, back. Right? Now there's, a, now there's a, a different layer that's going on here. Right? Um, here's something that, that Origen says, because some people will, again, when they abuse the Bible, they're like, aha, image and likeness of God. That's why evolution couldn't be true, because God's not a monkey. Ha, 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 LOL. Right? Which is not a very useful conversation. Now, how did the early church view image and likeness? We do not understand. This is Master Origen, teacher of, 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 of at least five patriarchs, if I'm not mistaken, of our church. We do not understand, however, that this, this man indeed, whose scripture says was made according to the image of God, to be corporeal. He's saying we do not understand image and likeness to mean some physical thing. 
That's not what we're talking about. For the form of the body does not contain the image of God, nor is the body said to be made, but formed. As is written in the words that follow, for the text says, and God formed man, etc. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Okay? So when, when a person today comes in the name of religion and says, your theory is wrong because I have this verse, it also begs the question to you, even within religion, now I'm not even just talking about outside of religion, because people out of religion are looking at that verse and abusing it, but so are people from among the church looking at the verse and abusing it. You should ask the question of, how did you arrive at the interpretation with which you interpreted this? And is it in conformity with the thought of the church or not? Or did you make it up? Or is it 10 days old? Or is it 100 years old? Because theology is a real discipline. It's not this fuzzy, touchy-feely thing. Right? There's, there's an actual process to it. There's a thought process to it. There's a system to it. There's, 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 there's an analysis in it, and there's a consistency. It's got its own framework. So there are people today who might insist that evolution, I'm not commenting on what my opinion is of evolution, but there are people who will say that evolution is false because of the verse of image and likeness of God. And yet there are many church fathers who are not adamant in any way, actually, in fact, they're adamant in the opposite way, that it is not physical. God himself says, God is spirit, those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So it can't be corporeal. Right? So, sorry, I lost my place. Um, so I'm not trying, sorry, I found myself. I'm not trying to propagate, again, any particular theory. Um, but what I am saying is your objection needs to be rational, objective, and authentic not based on how you feel. More specifically, some um, Protestant denominations, and when I'm talking about other denominations, I'm not ever speaking um, with disdain or sarcasm or to put them down. I'm speaking objectively that this is their belief, okay? Some Protestant denominations use the Bible as a textually infallible book. That is not actually how we view it as Orthodox, right? For us, scripture is spiritually infallible, it is, but the text is not. There can be grammar mistakes. There could even be a historical mistake because the book was not about that or claiming to be anything in those fields. And our understanding of spiritual inspiration, we do not believe that the Holy Spirit was dictating to the writers what to write the way that we see in Islam, for example. Right, where the, where, where the angel is speaking to the prophet, the prophet is listening and he's writing. The only exception to that in the Bible is when we're saying that that is happening with some of the prophets where the angel or the Lord is saying, write this. They're very exceptional. They're not the norm. And those are always visions, right? Those are always um, like pretty much allegorical. Um, so we believe that people were writing and the spirit was directing both through and in spite of them, right? So often they had no clue what meaning they might have when they were writing something. Right? So is it possible that when the Jews were chronicling for themselves their own history, God never, ever, ever told the Jews, go chronicle your history. They were just doing it. Okay. Now, is it possible when they're chronicling their own history because they were just writing that they got the name of a king wrong? Yeah. Of course. So what? That's not what we're concerned with when we read it. 
We're reading the story of the kings to find out about what happened when the Jews kept the covenant, what happened when they didn't, what were their problems, how did it go, and how did God deal with them throughout? We are not actually ever saying, if you're going to be consistent, oh my, the Lord wanted so dearly for us to know who is the king of the Medes and the Persians at that time. That wasn't God's objective, right? Like it didn't matter whether it was the king of Babylon or Persia and really in the long narrative of things, right? And whether it was this Pharaoh or this one or his kid or his uncle, etc. Don't abuse the Bible and try and make it say something that it was not meaning to say. So how do we approach these things? Where there is an objective fact known, there is nothing to have faith about. Faith is about the things that are unseen and unknown. It's not about the things that are known. I don't have to have faith that I'm sitting on a chair. I am sitting on a chair. So where there's an objective fact, there's not a need for us to look out for faith, period. Something is either true or it is not, period. Now, where there is a lack of objective knowledge, one can only educatedly speculate, but must keep in mind that his speculation is just that speculation. It can be educated and advanced, the speculation, and it could be a weak speculation, but regardless of the kind of speculation, it is still a limited human speculation nonetheless, no matter how strong the grounds are that you're standing on, right? I'm not discussing how well you formulated your speculation, but just to say objectively, it is still speculation. To the scientists, I would say, don't overstep your boundaries. Stay in your lane. To the theist, I would also say, don't overstep your boundaries. Stay in your lane. Both of us. Because they're not meant to be pitted against each other. If you are going to refuse to believe in evolution, no problem, or any other particular scientific theory, no problem. That is your prerogative. Okay, but if you're going to refuse it, what I'm trying to get at is refuse it on scientific, not religious grounds if something is a matter of fact. At the end of the day, if it is either a fact or it's not, in spite of your beliefs, right? Faith is not meant to be irrational. The objective of faith is not to be dumb, right? Like we're not, we're not going out there like, what is the dumbest thing we could think of? Let's do it, right? What's the most bizarre thing you could think of to believe in? Let's take it. Right? We are also in pursuit of truth. And if we are rational beings, it's going to be very hard to intentionally be irrational. I mean, we still do it sometimes. So if you want to be a young earth creationist, if you want to believe that the earth is created in 24-hour days, no problem, go for it. But do it because you think that the scientific evidence leads you in that direction. Not because you're forcing the good book to say something that it is not. Right? Don't, don't believe it because you invented a claim on behalf of the Bible that you now feel the need to justify. The Bible did not make such a claim. And we cannot force the science to agree with personal notions. Okay, that's not real science either. Um, so we've got to be very, very careful. So rather than having useless debates about these issues, we should be using the science to show, why not use the science to show how great God is? God is immaterial who made the material, and he made it really well. 
right? Why not marvel at science as just one more discipline in existence among many disciplines that testifies of his greatness? Science is one of God's greatest gifts to humanity, right? He gave us the tools and the mechanisms to create and repair, even as he is able to do those things in perfection. He's given us a mind to comprehend the order of the universe that he designed. And it testifies of his own characteristics in person, right? This can help us enormously in our spiritual lives and in our theology. Because he's written so many concepts into nature, right? That you can take meditatively. Seeds die to live. Things like night and day, things like gender, sexuality, all these things, they're, they're complementary conversations. Or families for population growth. He wrote spiritual concepts in creation. It's remarkable. Where science and, and, and religion are able to, to have a conversation is got to be in the places of intersection specifically. Okay, so if I'm making a religious claim that is clearly having a scientific aspect to it, then science has the right to have the conversation. So for example, if I claim somebody, be, somebody has been cured from cancer, and then they go and take a biopsy, there's the science, and they find that the person is not cancer-free, then a scientist has every right to objectively say your miracle is false, because that is a place of intersection. Okay, but if a person did have cancer and now does not, a scientist does not get to say where there's not an objective fact that was not a miracle. That's baseless. That's just a personal preference. And, 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 and the scientists would need to recognize that that's all it is. Right, that the person can't say, I'm a scientist saying this. No, that is not the realm of your science, even though you're a scientist. Right, you've got to be able to recognize that right and so the only place of discussion has to be where they intersect but most people are not talking about those intersections but where the science has to be careful is using science using science inaccurately to try and assess a faith matter so for example um this was part of a discussion with a, with a good friend of mine but it's useful that's why i'm bringing it up um let's push science away for a second just to make a, a, an analogy. Um, you can look at a history of theology. History and theology can intersect where you're talking about the history of a thing. But history itself as a discipline cannot interpret theology. It's a completely different discipline. Okay, so I cannot come in as a theologian and say, let me, uh, let me uh, get into your microbio lab and tell you exactly what's going on here and why this person has this infection. I can't do that. It's a completely different language, right? If I want to go to an engineer who's designed something, I can be like, oh, that's just stupid. Because 50 years ago, you guys did this. It's like, what are you talking about? This, do you know what's going on underneath this? Do you understand the engineering of it, right? It's the language of engineering that produced this. So if you're going to look at history and say, here's different products that came over different times, and therefore, you're therefore better be based on something actually valid. What I'm trying to get at is often we're, it's not valid, right? And so to enter into something, you have to enter into the language of that thing. That's why, for example, for me, 
I could have a general theological discussion with somebody of another religion about certain concepts if we're able to determine our common definitions first. Right? So let's say the Hindus have a concept of a savior, different from a Christian concept of a savior. I can't come into the Hindu temple and say, no, you're wrong because a savior should be this. Because they're going to say in your language, in our language, this is what a savior means. So there needs to be a discussion about where is the common language first. Right? If a Muslim comes to talk to me about my view of the Quran, I don't even try. If I'm going to evaluate the Quran, it will not be religiously. Because I'm not a Muslim. So I can't pretend that I'm a Muslim exegete. I am not. I have neither the skill, nor the training, nor the knowledge of any kind to tell somebody how to interpret the Quran. I might be able to make objective claims, maybe, about the history of it, about some of the claims of it, but that's what I mean about where those claims intersect with something objective. It is only in those points of intersections where we can have a discussion. What, if the Muslims are making a claim about the Quran that has nothing to do with history, then I have no ability to comment on it. Right? That's what I'm trying to get at. Too often, not just with science religion, but in general in, in our contemporary world, we're crossing lines and we're not realizing it. Okay, all of us, not just people with a particular view. And I, even the way that I'm talking, I don't like because it's almost suggesting that a scientist must by nature be opposite of faith and they're not, right? It, by, you're not by virtue of being a scientist must be opposed to faith. But if we abuse these things, there will be a growing aversion one towards the other. There will be, because we're not actually dealing with either real theology or with real science either. I would also suggest that people are now turning science into an ideology, okay? And science isn't supposed to be an ideology. Science is supposed to be science. It's concerned with material facts and observations. It's not supposed to be a way of thinking. You can use science to make religion, no problem, but now call it what it is called a religion. And now you can use that in a religious context, but now that religion needs to be subject to the discussions that govern religion. Now it goes in that corner. But science in and of itself is not that thing. So never be afraid of science. Okay? If you're afraid of science, it means that you're not sure that he's real. Because the only thing we have fear about is finding out that something's not as we wanted, not as we wished, not as we understood. Your God is above science because he made it. Okay? So like all other created things, not just science, use the science to know God. So people spend way too much time being defensive about their own views that they sometimes lose the benefits of objectivity. And then they end up coming to conclusions that hurt rather than benefit their cause because they're not seeking the truth. They're seeking to be right. And that's not how we do things. If we seek the truth, we'll find God because God is the truth. I'll just end with this verse from Romans because I love it. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, the immaterial, namely, his eternal power and deity has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. To us, from a religious perspective, the material is a sign of, of the immaterial, and it can be a subject that can be used for worship of God. It does not have to be heated up 
against him. To him be glory um, now and always to age of ages. Amen. That's all I had to say. I wasn't trying to make a whole big stance. Um, I don't know if there are any um, questions, comments, um, objections, criticisms. Crickets. <laughs> Um, I don't know if there are anything online. I'll check. Otherwise, it really just is actually that awkward. Um, nope. Okay. Uh, yeah, you can speak. Um, if you use a, a raise your hand function, then Mina can uh, unmute you. I'd be able to ask. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, Vinny. Hi, hi Vinny. Good to see you. Yeah, my name is Vinny. I'm an Indian Orthodox. I went to UCLA, and I'm friends with Naomi. I think she uh -huh. goes to your church. Yeah, I'm in San Diego. But um, I, I guess one that I've been struggling with is this kind of what we just talked about with science and objectivity and the sense of, like, I guess we can call it science, but I'm sitting on a chair, right? So that's like objective in a sense. Um, and the at the same time, I guess as Christians, we say that like God is objective in the sense that God defines truth and thus everything is defined based off of God. Um, but I think what I kind of struggle with in terms of logic and that's a word my way around these things is how can we as Christians talk about God in the objective sense to maybe say other people if they don't recognize that as being objective and also if we can't necessarily prove the objectiveness of God. And I know this is kind of like the realm of theology versus science that you just said of Okay, if someone expects God to just come out and say, hello, I'm God, and that's like their expression of science, like that's like not true. It's not going to happen. But yeah, I guess how, how can we talk about the objectivity of God other than the fact that if we believe Christ is who he says he is, and he says that like, God is God, then because of that, we say God is objective. I don't know if that made any sense. I think it makes sense. I don't know if I understood it right. So if what I'm saying um, doesn't seem to be answering you, then like follow up. Um, number one is, I think, first of all, first and foremost, Christians need to, especially in our contemporary world, we have a bigger responsibility to know why we believe. Mm. Okay. Because um, when we lived in a, in a mostly theistic world, there wasn't that challenge. There wasn't that, that, that sense of urgency because everyone is kind of on the same page. Okay. So now we're not. So now we need to know that. Number two is that whether we like it or not, our arrival at objective truth is still rooted in subjective experience. Okay. Okay. Sure. Because every single 
discipline, including science, was built at some point on subjective experience, every single one. Mm-hmm. There's not a single one that wasn't originally founded on that. So we need not be embarrassed about um, or defensive of that there is a subjective element. That's not bad, that's not wrong, that's, that's, that's completely to be expected because we are subjects, okay? Sure. But then I would also say that to demean, and I don't say you're doing this, but to diminish from the objective reality of the person of Christ would be bad science, okay? Because if, if I were to go to a mall, I overuse this analogy, but if I go to a mall and I saw somebody levitating, even if it's one subjective experience, like the I happened to be there, but objectively that occurred, that demands of me, if I'm seeking truth, to know how that is given our belief in gravity. Mm-hmm. And if it really actually occurred, then if there's a truth about it, that truth is, is for all times. Why was there an event in the history of time in which somebody was not held down by gravity? So I would need to check, did he have invisible strings? Was it a hoax? Was it an illusion? Whatever, but I can't ignore it, right? I can dismiss it, I can pocket it, I can, I can call it a hoax without investigating, I can do all those things, but I would need to be honest about the fact that I didn't really do my homework. So if there really is this person called Christ, which there is, okay, then the, the, the struggle of Christians that I think they don't do enough is say, why do I believe his claim? Mm. Because the act of faith is not based on nothing, right? The act of faith is supposed to be based on something actually to some extent objective that has a subjective experience, okay? But that this is the reason why I am saying I believe you. Right. And that when I have the answer to that, I'm going to know how to discuss. Right. Because I'm going to be able to know because I already went through that process. Right. That's one part of it. The other part of it is to is sometimes we need to challenge back on the meaning of things. Because a, a big mistake that a lot of people, I think, fall into is that they might state something that's objectively true. And they're ascribing a particular meaning to it but their meaning needs to be challenged, right? Of saying, if this is true, and then they say, therefore this, it's like, how did you arrive at your therefore? Is that therefore actually Mm. true? Or is that your actually subjective view, right? And then the other thing that I find handy is to point back at them of saying, how did you arrive at your knowledge? Is it because you read 30 books? Is it because you read 400 books? What made your 400 books true? Are you right because of the volume that you read? How did you assess the content of it? Are you the expert in that field, actually? Or do you call yourself an expert circularly because you read many books and therefore now can claim to be the expert? The reason why I'm saying that is not to get into a fake debate. That's not the objective here whatsoever. The reason why I'm saying that is to point out that what is often pointed at you as a criticism of your faith is it precisely the very thing that the other person is doing and not recognizing because they happen to be the language of majority today. So Christians had their turn. The rest of the world is like, ha ha ha, it's not your turn anymore. Let me do it back to you what we think you did to us. So on some extent, we're going to have to suck it up. 
right? But we also need to be able to answer those questions. And I think that's how we arrive at it of saying that I'm believing this claim of objectivity based on something. Can I articulate that something? And at the same time, I don't need to be defensive of it because everybody is doing precisely that. Not a person mm -hmm. on the planet isn't doing that except a person who isn't thinking. Right? And then so, we get into language assessing claims. Does that answer what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that helps. Yeah, that I think it's clarifying to what you said. Like it's it's not embarrassing or the experience of subjectivity doesn't necessarily like annihilate or nullify the ability for objectivity to be perceived. Because um, I, I think I remember one time sitting in a sociology class and they open up with like, it's impossible to be like objective, right? Mm -hmm. Or like, um, and I guess it may be true that it's in that sense that we can all, we only experience things subjectively, but that doesn't um, take out the ability to, through subjective experiences, perceive or understand or know what is objective. So that is helpful. But, so but I guess what you just said is actually an important point for dialogue with the scientists that are anti-belief. Because here's a secular discipline of sociology making an anti-claim to the fundamental claim of science. Sure. Right? Like there's, there's a reason why for a long time, I don't know what the current is, so I can't comment on it, but there's a reason why for a very long time, but definitely when I was in school taking psych, um, there was a big fight because psychology was not permitted to be in the faculty of science. You couldn't get a Bachelor of Science in anything related to psychology because psychology was not viewed as science. Which is very interesting, right? And, mm -hmm. and it speaks to this very controversy. Because it's not just a controversy between faith and, and, and insert here. It's a general human problem about do we know how we know? And that turns into the realm of philosophy from which came all of the science and the mathematics and, and everything, right? At the, mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Hmm. So the humility. Yeah. So I guess in short, if to answer someone who, if someone says like, how could you claim that Christ is objective or that like, I think it's in this, this another question of as Christians, I think there's a maybe a level of degree to which we hold other Christians accountable to like, what we say we proclaim to believe but then mm -hmm. at what point does our objectivity or like our sense of what is truth and what christ says how we should live our lives um mean we should i guess expect others or society to behave who don't necessarily um claim that but that's simple because if i believe something to be true it's not irrational that I would wish it for all. It's different to force it on all. Sure. But, sure. but to wish it for all. In the same way, for example, that those who really believe in evolution wish that everybody would believe in evolution. We're not calling them criminals. Mm. Right? Mm. Like, we're that's, not saying, you filthy scumbag, you want me to believe in this. We're saying, like, there's a reason why they want people to believe. 
So if I think something's true, that I happily would wish that everybody would know it to be, to be true if I think it makes a difference. I just have to be careful not to club someone to death for not doing right. what I do. But at the same time, I should have every conviction. And that's what I'm saying. I think we need to hold people to consistency, right? Like, is that even what they demand of the Christian in terms of defense? I'm like, well, why don't you demand that of yourself? And then usually the, the answer mm. is because I'm not making a claim, I'm like, but you are making a claim. Mm. By saying that what I'm saying is stupid, you are claiming that you know the thing that's not stupid. Now, do you hold that thing to the same standard of what you're holding me to? Because most people aren't, right? So we need to be have a lot more conviction and, and a lot more critical thinking um, because that, that's it's not as, uh, as common. Got it. Cool. Thank you. I think that, that really clarified some of the logical fallacies I was giving myself into. So thanks. Sweet. Um, how do you approach an atheist who's only interested in expressing their viewpoint and not listening? Well, then that person is not having a dialogue. And if they're not having a dialogue, then I'd ask them what the purpose of the conversation is. Right? We need to be a little bit more bold. I'm not saying be a complete like jerk to everybody. But it's like, imagine if a Christian walked up to a random person and said, by the way, I think you're a sinner. They would beat the person to death. I'm like, who do you think you are? You judging Christian. How dare you? Blah, 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 blah. So if they're going to be mad at you for doing that, which they have every right to be mad at you for doing, then why do they get to do that back to you? So if somebody comes and randomly spews opinions at me, thank you very much. I didn't ask for your opinion. Are you done? Um, I need to get to work, right? So what I would usually do is ask them what exactly is the point of their speech. I just ask it. I was saying, are you, are you actually here just to tell me what you think of me without my asking? Or did you, were you looking for a conversation? Or were you looking to just make sure that I know what you think? I'm not, what is your objective? And make them answer. Right. It might help them realize what they're doing. Right. And if they're like, well, no, I'm interested in conversation. Okay, cool. Then are you re ready to have an actual conversation? Right. And so a dialogue, which the art of which I, I think is somehow lost. Um, there's a beautiful book. Um, it's a dialogue, an actual dialogue um, between Pope Francis when he was still a cardinal um, and a, a famous uh, Jewish rabbi. Um, and in the preface, Pope Francis had like a little short blurb about dialogue and it really, it's never left me. It was beautiful. Um, I don't remember all of it, but one of the things he said was in dialogue, we approach one another with this deep sense of respect and integrity. And we believe that the other person has something of value to bring to the conversation. Right. And so that if I believe that the person has something of value, right, then that already changes how I interact with the person. Because now I'm actively listening because I want to understand because if the goal is truth, then I'm listening for it from everything and everywhere from where it comes. If my goal is to be right, then I'm just going to yell at people. Right. And if anybody starts answering back, I'm going to yell louder, right, just to make sure that I that I that I win. So if somebody's expressing interest in expressing their viewpoint, I would point out to them that I didn't invite them to give their viewpoint and ask them what was the purpose of giving their viewpoint. Um, and you can do that in very polite ways. I'm speaking very like assertively right now, but there are, there are very polite ways um, to give that message. Um, what do you think is really blocking the scientific community from taking the idea of God seriously? You know, actually, statistically speaking, I don't think the majority of scientists are actually atheists. 
right? Like th- those who speak, speak very loudly, but whether the majority actually do not believe in God, I don't know if that's actually true. Um, there's even, there's a series of volumes that I saw at one point. Um, I bought one, I didn't end up reading it, of a bunch of converts to Christianity, really big names who are all scientists. And they're saying why they're able to be a scientist and believe. I think if I'm going to be real, I think part of it is ego. That is part of it. I think part of it is our common humanism these days. And I'm not going to lie, part of it is Christian's fault. Okay? Because when Christians have been poor at expressing their faith, when Christians have been wrong in their claims and tried to force them on others, um, when Christians have bullied people in the past, these things have happened, let's be real. They have happened. Okay? And so it helped create an environment of us versus them. Right. And people like to rally around a cause. It's, 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 it's a psychology, if you believe in psychology. Right. Where it's, it's, it's easy to be around a cause. So if you can be in the team like, oh, we're, the, we're always being victimized, then you're going to victimize yourself even, even more. And then it just takes a few real events to make you really lean into that philosophy. So, for example, just to show the, the irony of it, I'm, again, I'm not giving a stance right now about evolution, but when evolution was presented, because sometimes science is in the same thing, when evolution was presented by some as the alternative to religion, right? Then religionists were like, oh, if this is the thing that somehow means that there's no religion and I know there's religion, I'm going to beat it up, right? So then they're like, okay, let's attack evolution. And then the scientists were like, what morons? They're not even looking at the facts. Let's fight religion. But that's what I mean about asking the question of meaning. The question should have been, if there is evolution, does that actually mean there's no God? And how did we arrive at that? And then that would be where we would need to objectively look at, are there intersections actually between these claims and these claims? Because if there's intersections, yeah, we can analyze those, right? So for example, if the actual claim of the Bible was, and the Lord said, there is no such thing as evolution, that's a claim. And then we look at the facts and it's, uh, there is evolution. Then we have a real objective problem, right? So I think that that's part of it. Like, I think that it's, we are egotistical. We do like to think things. We do like to bully. There are fads and trends and all those things but we cannot also deny that christians have done a lot of wrong um and that that has influenced the narrative it's influenced the history even if that narrative or or history has been exaggerated or abused it doesn't matter we were still culprits in some ways um in the in the history of this dialogue um yo yo how can you uh can you please help in how to approach someone who doesn't believe um, and is angry towards Christians. When someone's angry, I usually ask them what makes them so angry, right? Like, like I, I try and be actually objective consistently of saying, why are you angry? If you're seeking the truth, why does it make you angry? Right? Like if I actually want to know the truth, I should always be happy to know the truth. So regardless of where it takes me. So what exactly is it that makes you angry towards a Christian? So they say, oh, because, you know, like they have these views on people and it's just so stupid, right? Then you can objectively ask, so why is it stupid? How did you arrive at your assessment that it is stupid? 
What objective measure, you're a scientist, what objective measure did you use to say that this is stupid? Because if you're making a moral assessment, then is science the right language to, ass to assess ethics? Right? If it's a historical one, is the historical claim accurate and is the interpretation of it accurate? Right? By asking the questions, you can arrive at what the person is thinking and where, what, their, what their prejudices are. And you may even find that they're accurate about certain things. Cool. Right? But at the same time, it's still a question of if you have an emotion about it, it means that there's something that you want that you're not getting or your emotions would not be negative. No one's happy to get what they, no one's angry to get what they wanted. Right. Or at least in, in most views, that would be kind of weird. Right. If you're angry that like I wanted this and I got it, that's so weird. Um, most people wouldn't think that way. So I would help them find out for like ask them to figure out why they're angry. And that might be the best point of discussion. Um, does skepticism regarding things within the church, um, like some miracles, some Salah stories, apparition stories indicate a lack of faith? Um, it could but not necessarily, because it's one thing to not believe a particular story and another thing to say that it's completely impossible, right? Because miracles, like we talked about last week or the week before, I can't remember, that's a special realm of discussion because the very claim of a miracle is that it is defying what is the natural order. So the only objective question that we can ask about a miracle is not the science of it as much as it is to say, did it occur? Right. And so that's why I'm like, that's a different kind of discussion, but you're, you wouldn't necessarily be of ill faith to say, I don't believe that particular story. Right. Where you would have a problem with religion is if religion said in order to be in this religion, you must believe this. But if the religion is not saying you must, then you're, you're totally fine. Right. What I would also invite anybody to do is to ask, what is my reason for my assessment? I just don't think we in general as humans do that enough. We start with us as the center of the evaluation, our own limited knowledge, our own limited experience, our own limited everything, and then use that to project outwardly and say, because I think this, therefore I assess this. And I would challenge everybody, Christian and non-Christian to say, and how do I know that? Right, both sides, I'm, I'm, I'm being consistent. I'm um, not sure if that answered. Feel free to follow up if, if I didn't. Um, how can you approach the topic? Uh, this is a follow-up to, I think, the people who are angry. Um, even if it's for the purpose of defending why you live your life the way you do. Um, so I don't go around beating people over the head. And I didn't even when I worked like in the pharmacy with like, I believe this, therefore this. But what I would do is that if there's already a conversation happening, that I don't need to hide that my view comes from a certain worldview. Right. Like a Jew is not afraid to say, well, as a Jew, I think this. No one's going to be like, oh, my gosh, scandal. Right. Um, if somebody were to be like, I'm a vegan and say, you know, as a vegan, I totally think this. No one's going to be like, oh, that's stupid. So there's nothing like I think it's about us recognizing consistency and inconsistency. Right. But that use the normal outlets who, with who you are already as a personality. Right. So, for example, I worked at a pharmacy once where there was a technician that came in and she's like, oh my gosh, um, like they're, they're having some conversation about marriage. She was like, I would never, ever, ever, ever 
marry the guy that I've been dating for like the last four years and they live together. Right. And so I was just like, wow, as a guy, I would totally dump you. Um, and she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you're, you're, you're saying that no matter how good I am, it doesn't matter to you. You would never commit to me. And if I'm looking for commitment, if I value commitment, that's a problem. Right. So she's like, hmm, interesting. As the, as the conversation steered, it reached a point where what I was saying was based totally on my Christian ethical worldview. So I said so. Right. And I was like, I can't escape this part of saying that because I'm a Christian, this is how I interpret sexuality, for example. Right. But now it was like, OK, no, I wasn't bringing it out to say, and therefore you're a moron. It was saying this is what informed my end of the discussion. What informed your end? And it becomes a real discussion. But if the person gets mad at that, then say, then why are you mad that I have a view? You're, you, you, we, we claim to live in a society that allows multiple views. Why does it annoy you that I have one? Right. It's, it's a it's a mind boggling thing to me. Um, so I would say use your personality. Some people in general don't talk much. Cool. You don't have to. You don't have to actively do it. Others regularly do. Cool. Use it. But it, you but to actively insert. Most people are negative towards that. And I agree. But I would also say that in some cases, not all to actively avoid is also possibly inappropriate as well. Right, because you're you're actually validating the idea that some opinions are are stupid by mere virtue of their label. But if we're looking for truth, that's not how the claim should go. Okay. Um, are we called to help apathias um, believe somebody? So, I, I, thank you for the explanation. I didn't, I've never heard that term before. So that's apparently somebody who's totally uninterested in believing. The thought of leaving this earth someday with people not believing in Jesus doesn't sit with me at all. It's beautiful that you care that much, right? And so it is not wrong for you um, to operate from that authentic aspect of yourself. I once heard an atheist speaking and it really moved me. I really respected him because he was being objective. He was talking about um, a Protestant who used to come up to him and tell him, I need to convert you because you're going to hell. Okay. Um, and so most of the audience were like chuckling, like, yeah, yeah, those crazies. And he goes, no, I actually really appreciated it. And that's something like, this guy was so objective. I loved it. He goes, no, I appreciated it because this guy really actually believed that I was going to hell. And he genuinely was concerned about me going there. That's actually very kind of him. So even this atheist was able to recognize, okay, wow, because if people, so everybody claims to be objective, everybody tries to claim that they are objective scientists, but they're not, right? Because if I am actually trying to be objective, then I'm not going to refuse claim just on the very basis of the claim. I have to have some standard to return to, to assess that, that claim. So I do believe that we are called to convert the whole world. That's the mission of everybody. Everybody's called to do it in a different way. Um, we have various gifts. That's why St. Paul talks about with various gifts, but all gifts are to testify of the glory of the Lord. With somebody, that's going to be their compassion. With somebody, it's going to be with their preaching. With another person, it's going to be with their calmness and their meekness. With another person, it's going to be with their patience. With another person, it's going to be their miracle working. With another person, it's going to be their discernment of spirits. These are all gifts to the glory of God in different ways and in different people that all of us are called to live with honesty and integrity to whatever gift that you have received. And every single one of you has at least one gift. Nobody didn't receive a gift. 
So in all the perils of the talents, there was never a pair of the talent where the Lord said, and you, you're not worth it. You get zero. Everyone got one. Okay. So if we're all using it, we would convert the world. The problem is that we're, we're too afraid, I think, to, to do so. Um, if the book of Genesis isn't based on actual fact, doesn't that take away from the necessity of Christ? Since the creation or fall would not be exactly how it was mentioned. Another point is that complete denial that science makes of the exodus gives us the important role of Jesus, let alone what Jesus actually factually did in the New Testament. To remain consistent, then that means that what was said spiritual truth and not factual. So I actually didn't say um, that there's no actual fact. I want to clarify because I didn't give a stance on that. But no, it wouldn't necessarily mean that. Okay? Because allegory is not saying nothing occurred. Allegory is saying here's a story to explain what occurred. That's the difference between um, actually a myth and a fable. A fable is a fictitious story to give a lesson. A myth, on the other hand, does not need to be fictitious. I avoid the word myth because most people associate myth with fiction. But it does not have to be fiction. So for those who believe that there is allegory, they're not saying nothing happens. No, it would not take away from the necessity of Christ. But I would also suggest it's the wrong place to start. Because we don't believe in God because of the Bible, I hope. Because God would still be God and Jesus would still be Lord, even if nobody wrote it down. The writing it down was an aid. It was never the thing. So if we turn the Bible into an idol, which some people do, right? And I'm not demeaning from the Bible. I live by the Bible. I actually adore the Bible. What I'm saying is that if you don't put it just in the same way that people can abuse icons, people can abuse liturgy, anything taken out of its proper order and adored in a certain way, that is a form of idolatry. Okay. So the starting point is not ha ha ha. If this is, if my understanding of Genesis is this, therefore Christ isn't this. Nope. Because we're not claiming Christ is this because of X, Y, and Z. Start with the objective reality of Christ and say, who is that guy? And then work back to try and understand what exactly is this, what does this mean? That's what I mean is, even if you discover something to be true or false, the next question is, after the, after the question of what is the truth, is what does it mean? What meaning have you applied to this thing that you discovered? Let's say we discovered that there was never an exodus. Okay, I've studied that in religious school, right? So this is not a claim coming from the outside, okay? So what happens if there's no exodus? Does that somehow mean Jesus is not God? If you think so, why do you think that? What was the claim that led you to that conclusion, right? And so I'm not going to get into the, the nitty-gritty of that. What I'm going to say is that is exactly why I'm saying you have to enter the language of each um, specialty in its own language. So this question that you're asking has many languages associated. You would need to have a discussion about what do we believe about biblical inspiration. You would need to understand how we as Orthodox approach biblical exegesis. Okay. You would need um, to have an understanding of what we believe about authenticity of scripture. And you would have a need to understand um, how we understand Christology. Because they're interrelated. And that interrelation is not a weakness. That's normal. Right? In the same way that even in healthcare now, we're talking about holistic care. 
bring on the massage therapist, bring on the physiotherapist, bring on the kinesiologist, bring in the social worker, right? Bring in, they're all coming to the same discipline. And that's always in the benefit, hopefully, of the patient. Um, last question, because um, I got a jet, but it is actually the last question that I received. Um, uh, with something, someone who's seeking the monastic life, I feel like the one thing that's holding the person back is leaving with atheists all around you. Very briefly, I would just say that God knows how to serve all humanity. So if, if God is calling you to monasticism, that's the only objective question to be asked. Does God want you to be there? Because if he does, he knows what he's doing, right? He'll have people there. If, if, if you feel that actually you have a call to help atheists, which you may have, right, then, then your call might not necessarily be monastic. Could be, but not necessarily either. Right. So put the question in its in its right place um, of a is there a calling? And if there is, then don't then don't worry about it. Right. It's like it's almost like forgive me for the analogy. Some people are like, I know we need to break up like two people are dating. And they're like, I know we need to break up, but it would just destroy her or him if I did. And so it's like, uh, <laughs> what do you want to do? Right? Are you going to stay in the relationship because you feel badly about breaking up? Then you're not really in a relationship, right? And so the same thing. So just instead, I would, I would direct your prayer to God and, and not try and, and, and bias it in any way and say, Lord, um, to, to where and to whom shall I go? Use me as you, as you wish. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, thanks, guys. Um, we'll conclude with prayer and then we'll, we'll bounce. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We ask God to hear us the intercession of the prayers of the Holy Mother, Theotoko, St. Mary, the Great, St. Anthony, St. Pope Corliss, and Marimina, we pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. For thy glory be in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not temptation, lest we evil in Christ, your Son, Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, grace of the Son, the communion of the Spirit, with you all go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Good night, folks.